Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. When my father was a young man, he was a pastor and a leader in the Lutheran Free Church. Anybody ever heard of that? A nationally based Lutheran denomination, which later became part of the ELCA. Anyway, he was, at the time, proposing some major changes nationwide in youth ministry to help folks update their programs and move into the 1950s. Did I mention my dad is 99 years old? Just had his birthday yesterday, in fact. As he visited uh, churches around the country, his proposal was often countered by very persuasive arguments like, we've never done it that way before. One time he was presenting in a small church in North Dakota, and an elderly little Norwegian lady stood up to let my dad have it. If Jesus knew what you were doing today in his church, he would roll over in his grave. She scolded him. I think someone needed to hear an Easter sermon. But discretion being the better part of valor, my dad declined. Perhaps two angels appeared to her in the parking lot and said, Woman, why are you ranting? Jesus... Jesus is not in his grave. We've known this for 2,000 years. The truth is, sometimes, for people who are dead set against change, it's easy to forget that the living Christ is doing new things in the world. Well, it's April Fool's uh, Day today, and while that little Norwegian lady played the fool that night, To most people in the world, we who believe in the resurrection are the fools. This was especially the case in the first couple centuries after Christ. A god becoming human and being executed? A man rising from the dead? Are you kidding me? Christians were commonly referred to as fools for believing so. In response, the Apostle Paul memorably wrote in 1 Corinthians that we who, followed, we who follow the crucified Christ then and now are, and I quote, fools for Christ. So, perhaps Easter and April Fool's Day kind of belong together after all. Be a proud fool in the Pauline tradition, hmm? In our story today, the grieving Mary is confronted by an empty tomb, then by angels who ask her, Woman, why are you weeping? Mary didn't get this was a statement, not a question. Why are you weeping really means you don't need to weep, for he lives. Then she sees Jesus, but mistakenly thinks it's the gardener, as Sinead was reminding us. The possibility that Jesus had left death behind and now stands before her had not yet occurred to Mary. So the gardener also asks, woman, why are you weeping? Well, she just wants to know where Jesus' body is. She's grieving, okay? 
Then Jesus says, Mary, Mary. And in the midst of her fog and her grief, her faith allows her to recognize the voice of the good shepherd calling to one of his sheep. So she happily responds, teacher. Teacher indeed. And more than that, savior, even brother. As God who became flesh, teaching and healing, suffering and dying, rising and ascending, Jesus himself became a pathway to God. A relationship with Jesus meant and means sharing in the family of God, the community of God, the mystery of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said to Mary, my Father is now your Father. And to the disciples earlier, my Father's house is now your house. As the Gospel of John tells us, to all who receive Christ, he gave them power to become the children of God. Now that's belonging, huh? And this family, this household, lasts forever. Yes, you have your own quarters. You may raid the refrigerator when you like. The flat screen is large and all of the cable channels are there. And oh yes, we eat all of our meals together as a family. That's the way this household goes. And as Jesus asks Mary to send word of Jesus' resurrection to my brothers, the actual translation of brethren here, interestingly, is gender neutral and means brothers and sisters. This family of God is not just for the men, as it commonly was then and sometimes today, nor is it just for your tribe. There is an open table at these meals. Now, you wouldn't be here today unless you had faith. A faith that allows you, like Mary, to see and hear the risen Christ who is loose in the world, creating and gathering this new family. And though most often we are not looking for them, There are gardeners in our midst who are not just gardeners, but signs and embodiments of the resurrected Christ. And they may ask us, why are you weeping? There is a new creation of which you are a part right now, they will say. There are often glimpses of this creation. Therefore, Keep your head up. Where do you see signs of resurrection, new creation? Through whom? Is there someone for you like my friend Walter who reminded me to keep loving my dear brother David who had died because, of course, David is not actually far off, but he's in the next room, you know, the next room in that one household where Jesus is your brother. Why are you weeping? Or do you think Christ is doing a new thing in the Parkland youth who have stepped up to create a movement? Not everyone does, but I sure do. It's biblical 
is it not, to beat our swords into plowshares to establish peace? I think we all know what swords are today. Let me share with you two images of resurrection reverberating in this life, of gardeners who weren't just gardeners. First, from literature and film, I give you Frankie and Johnny, a story full of Easter, empty tombs, and victorious love. Frankie is a waitress, deeply scarred by an abusive ex-husband, and now afraid to love. Regularly, she gazes across the street from her New York apartment into the apartment of a man and woman who live there. There, there sometimes she sees a mirror of her own story as the man repeatedly abuses the woman. For Frankie, this uh, rear window-like ritual is like peering into her own tomb that has made her dead inside. Enter a good and decent man named Johnny who loves Frankie, and Frankie might love Johnny if only she could trust again and leave her tomb of despair behind. Then early one morning, as she's brushing her teeth, she hears on the radio a song dedicated to her by Johnny. Pavan for a dead princess, Ravel's classic. Pavan means dance, and the dead princess is, of course, Frankie. Frankie hears this as a love song to her, which it is, and it coaxes her a bit from her tomb. Perhaps Johnny and Pavan are more than just a guy and a song. Then, in an epiphany, she looks across the street and sees an empty tomb and maybe a resurrection. The man in the apartment, you see, is desperate because he sees only coat hangers where her clothes used to be. She is risen and left her tomb. Here is a short clip of this scene that I just described from the 1991 movie. It's an empty tomb, isn't it? And a resurrection. Jesus Christ has declared that you are a part of a new creation, a new family based on the God of love that coaxes us out of our various tombs of despair and death. Are there gardeners in your midst who are not really just gardeners? For the final image today, let me share with you an encounter on a boat that I'll not soon forget. It happened several years ago when I was on a three-hour ferry from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, to the island of Zanzibar, which is 98% Muslim. So, on this ferry, there were many dark-skinned African Muslims, but there were a few uh, Arabic-looking people as well. One Arabic Muslim family stood out to me, a woman with a traditional headscarf and her two children, a girl probably uh, 10 years old or so, and a boy who was about six or seven. They were sitting out on the deck in the sunshine. I was on the same deck, but separated by about 30 feet or so and quite a few people. I looked at them, wondering what this 
innocent-looking family was thinking of me, someone obviously from the West, probably a Christian. I was well aware that the mother's cultural perceptions about me might be as uncharitable as how we often perceive Muslims about in their culture. The perception is in our culture about uh, Muslims. So I, I imagined the mother probably tightening her hold on her kids, making sure they didn't wander over to someone like me. And that made me sad. Then something interesting happened. We made eye contact, me and the family. And I smiled at them and nodded. And then the little boy, with his mother's consent, started making his way over to me. Since the sea was a bit rough and the boat was pitching back and forth, he weaved back and forth as he headed over to me. When he arrived, he stood in front of me, grinning from ear to ear. Then he put up his right hand for a high five. And so we high-fived, and he grinned even more widely, but maybe not as widely as I was grinning. That boy saw me not through the lens of our broken world, but through the lens of a different world. Simply, he saw me as another human being, an intriguing, white-skinned human being with no hair. But his message to me was unmistakable. It was, I am your friend. And he started weaving his way back to his mom. Later, I met them. And, and took a picture of their family. It didn't occur to me right away, but upon reflection, I realized that through that little boy's actions, someone was asking a question. Why are you weeping? We are part of the same family, he and I, the human family, for whom Christ died and rose, and who Christ seeks to unite. It mattered not that the boy was probably not a Christian. The risen Christ, you see, is loose in the world as a new creation, and as such can appear through whomever he wishes. The boy's simple act of friendship was a reverberation of the death and resurrection of Jesus, where God has gathered the whole human race together with good news. The risen Christ is the promise of reconciliation, not only between God and people, but between people and people. This, of course, brings hope and smiles to our faces amidst suspicion and fear. In your lives, I invite you to act on your faith and pay attention to when the gardener may not be the gardener, but rather a word from above. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia, alleluia. And while this might make us fools to some, today is our day. We are fools for Christ. Amen.